You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Great. It is so good to be uh, together and to bring the Bible and God's word to you. If you've got a Bible, I'd love it if you could open it up. Uh, We're going to be reading from Genesis. Genesis is the first book of the Bible. Yeah, Toby, that was brilliant what you did with us on the worship there, just reminding us of a year ago. Literally a year ago, we were all in the room together. It was Mother's Day last year. Yeah, if you're a child in the room, just a quick heads up, you need to make a card this week. It's going to be Mother's Day next Sunday. year ago, Mother's Day, we did our first online service. And I guess I just want to stand here a year later and say, I am so proud and so thrilled to be a part of this church. I just found it amazing. I mean, I think there's a book on the way out, Faith Under Lockdown, that's been written in the last year. I know that we've done community circles, we've done prayer meetings. I know people have done CBR, that's on YouTube, Lent, that's on YouTube and what we're doing now. I know we've done boxes for the NHS. I know that we've started an fund. I know we had an Alpha Saturday yesterday. I know we had Steps to Freedom in Christ yesterday. It is so exciting that you said that, Toby, this morning, that, yeah, God is still doing things. I wonder how you feel at the end of this year. I came across a term called FOGO. Never heard of it before? Fear of going out. As you get to the end of this year... Does it suddenly become, I'm not sure if I want to go out anymore. Or are you one of the ones that think, I am just desperate to get out. What is on your wish list, the first thing that you want to do as a result? Obviously, for the kids, it's back in school. I get that, so am I. Parents, who's the first person you want to go and see? Who's the first person you've not hugged in a year that you cannot wait to see? Now, literally, the the bit of the Bible that we're going to jump into, which is Genesis 8, we find out what Noah did. Noah, we believe, had been stuck in an ark with no YouTube for one whole year. He'd literally been with his family and a bunch of animals, I don't know if you can relate to that, for a whole year, and then out he comes. I'm going to read from chapter 8 and verse 20. Then Noah literally just come out the ark, built an altar to the Lord. And taking some of the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of man, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, sea time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. It goes on in Genesis chapter 9. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall upon all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air, upon every creature that moves along the ground and upon all the fish of the sea, they are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. 
But you must not eat meat that still has its lifeblood in it. For your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal. And from each man too, I will demand an accounting for the life of his fellow man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made man. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will life be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I'm making between me and every living creature with you. A covenant for all generations to come. I've set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I've established between me and all life on the earth. I guess that is the sort of classic picture that we have of Noah. Noah and this rainbow. This is week two in Noah. In fact, it's week 10 in Gospel Foundations, which is a series where we are looking at the book of Genesis 1 to 11. And we're discovering that right at the start of the Bible, God gave us the foundations for life. The danger is that when we get to the book of Noah, we can go one of two possible ways. We can either get really sort of, I don't know, um, emotional about it. We can think of Mr. and Mrs. Noah with a nice smile on their face and all the animals smiling as they're looking over the ark and waving at those outside. And we can think, well, I'm not really sure it was like that. And I talked about that last week. Or I think we can go down the thing of, well, what were the facts? How did this flood happen? How deep are the mountains? I want to say this. The Bible is really about what happened but always about what God is doing. And I think when we come to the book of Noah, I don't want to dismiss either of those things, but I want to say, what was God doing? And I'm going to suggest three things that God was doing through this story. The first thing is this, we discover the promises of God. It was the first bit I read, chapter 8, verses 20 to 22. The first thing that Noah, the builder, does when he gets out of an ark is building. He doesn't build his own house. He builds an altar. Noah offers a sacrifice to God. This is an expression of thanks in response to God's mercy and grace. We don't know how long it took him to build the ark, but we know he was known as this builder. And then suddenly he's released from the ark after lockdown, after a year. You know, it wasn't a cruise. I can tell you this. I've actually been on a cruise. 
Some, yeah, some family member paid for me to go in the year 2000. Yeah, a cruise, it's, it's luxury. This is more like a coffin. After he gets out of this coffin, this boat that he's been on for a whole year, he builds an altar to give thanks to God. Victor Hamilton, in his commentary on Genesis, says the mercy of God meant that he will not give man his just deserts. The punishable will not be punished. Noah should have been punished. He was wrong like everyone else. John Hartley says in his commentary, God's mercy, not anger, would set the tone now for all divine human relationships. Noah makes a sacrifice. You could say that Noah made a sacrifice for the entire earth as he is there at that altar. That was a picture of what was to come. The priests in the Old Testament often made a sacrifice on behalf of the people before God. We read even godly fathers did this. Job made a sacrifice on behalf of his family before God. We know ultimately, don't we, that Jesus came as the sacrifice that would be slain for us. Romans 3 says this, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received. So what Noah was doing right in this foundation, we discover is true for us today. And then actually, it's the real challenging thing. What about you? The first thing out of lockdown is it to worship God. Oh, look, whenever I ask you these questions, I think, oh, Pete, don't ask that one because I feel undone myself. The first thing out of lockdown, you know, if we're really honest, is I, I think I'm going to go and see my mum. The first thing out of lockdown is I can't wait to see a musical. The first thing out of lockdown is, and you can all fill in the blanks. Well, it's actually here. The first thing out of lockdown is, will I give thanks to God? In fact, Paul challenges the church when he writes in the book of Romans. Actually, therefore, I urge you, he says in Romans 12, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper. He's saying, actually, I want you to live a life of sacrifice. Hey, that's going to be a bit uncomfortable, isn't it? Which is great, because that's the name of a book I've encouraged you to buy. Oh, it's slick this morning, I know. This book, Uncomfortable, challenges us on the gospel. How how does it impact our lives? If you've not heard this before, this is the last time I'm making the offer. I would willingly give you this one, but it's already been read by four different people. I've said, if you're in this church and you buy this book, we will repay the price. Buy it. Send the bill in to Rachel. That would be great. As long as you read the book. Because it challenges us. Christianity is not about our comfort. It's about him. And even the resurrection we only discover because of the cross. So I would encourage you, if you've not yet brought it, get that. We want to live lives of sacrifice. God makes a promise. God says to him, never again, never again will I flood the earth despite, this is what I find fascinating, despite God knows what's inside the heart. I mean, isn't that fascinating? The flood didn't wash away sin from Noah's heart. It's nothing external. I had a guy, I'll tell a story from my last church rather than this one. He had racked up a debt, quite a large debt. 
it was £100,000. And so he said to me, he said, oh, it's all right, Pete. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to sell my house in London and I'm going to move north. And I should just buy a cheaper house and I should clear the debt. And I said to him, the problem is, the problem's going with you. He was literally about to thump me because he thought I was talking about his wife. I said, no, actually, the problem's you. So you've run up a debt and you think you're just going to go there. What's going to stop you running up another debt? You see, you couldn't just think, oh, I'm just going to leave that behind. I'm just going to make a change. Unless there was something radical that changed in his heart. Where's he going to sell your, your house in the north? I'll be careful now because I'm on YouTube. You know, you'd have to go move to Scotland, I suppose. But you suddenly think, oh, yeah, sin is a massive problem in our heart. God doesn't just pass over sin. He will send his son to pay. But actually, he makes promises to us. And I know we've been singing about it this morning. Isaiah reminds us of one, do not fear for I am with you. Hey, if you're watching on YouTube and you're on your own at home, you feel I've been in London in lockdown, single person, God says, I'm with you. That's the promise of God. There are promises that God makes. Richard and Adele have been, they started a prayer meeting. It's on a Wednesday morning at seven o'clock. We pray for the church, not for individual things, just for the church. It's great. We went through Lamentations 3 this, this week. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Now, I know that I'm limited on time. I looked up on the internet, how many promises of God can you find in the Bible? And one website capped it at 7,000. When I was a kid, we used to sing. Uh, there's 10 green bottles hanging on the wall. One green bottle, it should accidentally fall. How many would there be? Nine green bottles. I thought we'd do it this morning from 7,000. <laughs> Just so you take the point. You know, we could all see there's 7,000 promises. Now, of course, you think, wow, that's huge, isn't it? The promises of God over your life. Even now, my danger is I've got got two other points because it's a good, well-planned sermon. But I think, oh, we probably need to stop and just think, God, what are your promises to me? What, you're never going to leave me? What, you're going to love me? What, you've seen what I've done in the last year and you still say you love me? Yeah, that's the promise of God. You say that if I come and say sorry for what I've done wrong, you'll forgive me. Yeah, it's a promise of God. You say that if I turn away from what's wrong and I follow you, you're going to welcome me to heaven forever. Yes, it's a promise of God. You say that I'm adopted as a child of God. Yeah, it's a promise of God. You mean I don't have to carry a rejection, orphan spirit? No, it's it's a promise from God. God makes promises he never breaks. That's, that's for, I mean, if we took nothing else from the story of Noah, you think, God, your promises are amazing. I know that the masks are muting your amens, but I'm trusting them in your hearts. Thank you. What else do we discover? We discover the blessing of God, the promise of God and the blessing of God. 
The Noah story, and I wish we had time to go through it, is almost like a recreation. The flood was almost like the recreation of chaos. Because when we read in Genesis 1, the water was separated, and that was the creation. And obviously in the flood, it's almost like they came back together, and that's what flooded the earth. In many respects, the Noah's story is about second chance. It's about new beginnings. John Walton says in his commentary, God is in the business of recreating and our lives testify to that grace. Uh, one sermon that I listened to, I listened to five sermons in preparing for this morning, talked about eight people came out of the ark. Well, the eighth day was the first day of the new week. There was a symbolic picture. This is a new beginning. A new week has occurred. New things happen. God blesses them. God says you can eat meat. Wow, I'm surprised we're quiet. If I was preaching this in Cape Town, I'd have had a hallelujah then. You know what I'm saying? God said, before this, we believed they, they were vegetarians. God says, hey, you're free to eat meat. Great. God blesses them. God then says, I want you to be fruitful and to multiply. They didn't have highlighters in those days. Some of you are saying, what's a highlighter now? Well, if you have pen and paper, you used to colour it over with this sort of thing and it made it stand out. Obviously, now we all have bold, italic, multi-fonts. It's all done on the internet, on the computer. It highlights because it's suddenly got, you know, visuals and logos. In the Bible, because they didn't have that, they highlighted by repeats. Repetition was a sign of God saying, I'm highlighting this. It's not underlined. It's not in color. But I've said it more than once. He says, more than once, I want you to multiply and to be fruitful. That's true now, isn't it? Didn't Jesus say to the disciples, I want you to go into all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything. There's a sense of fruitfulness is a promise of God. I, um, one of the pastor's privileges is I've got to read the book Stories of Hope this week. It's fantastic. People in the church just sharing their stories. But the whole purpose is not that I take it. Oh, great book. The whole purpose is I take it and think, wow, those stories are amazing. You know what? I'm sure my friend would really like one of these. I'm going to take this because I'm going to read it. And then I'm going to think, right, I'm sure my friend. And look, we'll run out. We'll get some more printed. Take one. Read it. Pray over it. Give it to a friend. We've often believed this is a church. We are to multiply. We are believing that, hey, we won't all be able to just stay here at the University of West London. We need to open other sites across the bar. We want to be a church that plants elsewhere. We want to be a church that serves other nations. Surely that's the biblical promise. I think the final thing I just want to say to this blessing is that there's protection from God. One of the tragedies, if you've been tracking the story, is that two brothers have a fight. Well, one picks on the other, if we're totally honest. Cain kills Abel. And so when they come out of the ark, God's saying, hey, you never take a life of another. Killing an animal is permitted. Killing a human is prohibited. I listened to Tim Keller on this. I mean, he was saying, it says even in there about the animals having to give an account to God. I don't understand quite how that works. You see, the Bible clearly says this. We are made in God's image. 
Whereas I think, if we're really honest, we try and make God in our image. And so sometimes when you hear something you don't like about God, you say, oh, my God wouldn't do that. Because what you've really done is you've created God in your image. Whereas the Bible is saying, no, we're made in his image. And that is really what comes out of here. Evolution values the strong and dismisses the weak, but not the God of the Bible. Nietzsche, the German philosopher, says we came from nothing, we go to nothing, and in between nothings we contemplate our nothingness. Yet the Bible says your life is significant and you matter. That's the blessing that we've got from here. The Bible teaches the very opposite of Nietzsche. The Bible teaches that your value and your dignity is in God. So that means life should be protected from the womb to the tomb because we're made in the image of God. I've delighted to hear this week about a pregnancy crisis call support group that is being started in Ealing to try and say, actually, those that are thinking of having an abortion, we'd like you to think again. We've got to believe that this is part of the blessing of God. So let me ask you the question. If we believe we are made in the image of God, how does that impact the way we relate to one another? Let's have a few things. Now, now I know you're going to think, yeah, I'm sure I'd be really grateful for a waiter when I can actually go out for a meal. But if we're brutally honest, the danger is so often we're on our phone and they come and they take the order. Or nowadays, to be honest, you don't even need a waiter. You can just do it on your phone, can't you? And they just dropped off what you've pre-ordered. But if that person's made in the image of God, why wouldn't I look them in the eye and take some time? Why wouldn't I just talk to them? The person cleaning the street, the, sh- the co-worker, if they're made in the image of God, surely that's a blessing, then I should look at them and value them. The big issue seller, the beggar on the street, if they're made in the image of God... There's a blessing there and I should look at them and value them. If people are made in the image of God, why would I look at porn? Is that valuing the made in the image of God or is that just me grabbing and taking? I would say that the story of the Bible is that we were Cinderella's that have now been taken and made into the bride of Christ. We have value Because of God, that's a promise, that's a blessing. You might look back and think, I'm not sure I value myself. Some people harm themselves. But actually God says, you've got real value. And the third thing I just want to challenge us about this morning is this, the Noah and the rainbow. It's the covenant of God. This is the first of several covenants that we get in the Bible. Abraham becomes the family of God, ends up in circumcision. Moses becomes the nation of God and Sinai it ends up with the sign of the Sabbath. David, it's the kingdom of God, isn't it? And there's a sign of anointing with oil. Noah, it's like God's gracious, broad Beautiful, generous, permanent covenant. And what I love about it is there's no sign for us to do. So often, you know, the other ones you think, oh, it's keep the Sabbath. God, it's circumcision. I'm glad we're not still on that one. Oh, it's anointing. Are we thinking about that one? When you come to this covenant, there's nothing. It is all grace. 
I don't believe that God puts the rainbow in the sky to remind him because he forgets. We know in Psalm 105 that he remembers his covenant forever. Again, the Tim Keller sermon that I was listening to says this. He believes that the backdrop is God's grace because you only find rainbows when there's a storm. And so if you've had a storm, you discover the grace of God. Even, he goes on, and I, I wish I could have had longer to expound that, that in religion we are useful. That's what religion is about, us trying to be useful. But we're not following a religion, we're following God. And the rainbow is something that's beautiful because grace leads to beauty, not usefulness. I wish we could ponder on that longer. The word used is actually bow. It's used 75 times in the Old Testament. It's not for your hair. It is a weapon of war. As I said, the first creation ends with God resting. The second creation ends with God resting his weapon of war. And that's this picture that we can pick up. Spurgeon, he was a preacher in, the, in London. He said, which I thought was a, a beautiful picture. You know, just imagine you've got this great bow like this, this weapon of war. And he says the rainbow is literally a picture of God taking his bow and not just you know, putting it to one side, but he's hanging it up. And if it fires, it would only fire up. And the picture being it would only fire at God. And actually he's taken this weapon of war and he says, Look, I'm going to put it to one side. I'm not going to do that. I promise never to do that again. And actually the weapon did inflict upon Christ that cross. So it's no longer pointing at us. It's no longer us being in trouble. It's grace. This story is incredible. It talks about God's promise, God's blessing, and God's covenant. And so I would just want to challenge us, how do we respond? There's three things. The first is we are called to worship God. That's what Noah did. First thing out of lockdown, I worship. The second thing is we're called to multiply. We're never called just to be a huddle. The danger of lockdown to me is we've got used to being in our own homes. And we are called to be salt and light. And the third response I would say is this. It's got to be grace. You see, the story of Noah is not us being useful. It's about us admiring his beauty. Let's take a moment before we rush on. I know these guys are going to lead us in a response song. God, we, we've, we've looked at your word. We believe it is your living word for today. We believe it's just as true now as the moment it was written for the people of God, Moses, when they were wandering in the wilderness. Lord, I pray you'd help us. First thing out of lockdown, what are we going to do? Lord, we want it, our decision to be we're going to worship you. Even coming out of lockdown, I pray that you'd help us, Lord, not to still just have a small mindset, but to think, how do we bless this borough? How do we bless this country you've put us? How do we multiply what you've given us? How do we share these stories of hope? And I pray, oh God, that we'd be a people of grace. Because what we realise is ultimately it's about what you've done yeah. and not what we now attempt to do. 
even the danger of coming out after a year and thinking, I'm going to do, do, do. We come out again and recognise God is your grace. And we thank you for that. Amen.